Would you make Pastor Tom Trimble feel welcome right now at East Wind Pentecostal Church? God bless you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Myers. I can make it through today. through this last six months you try to find the strength to say all those bold statements they have to be backed up by the humble admission that I have nothing but I can make 
There's no way that I can falter, but it's only if, Lord, you help me stay. And I have the strength that it takes to conquer.
the Lord know how wonderful he is right now. Come on, let's take a moment and just exalt the Lord all over this house. Forget about everybody else in this building. Come on, lift up the name of the Lord. I'm not talking about a 20-second praise. I'm talking about lift him up. Keep it going. Keep it going. I know we got our little Pentecostal 20 seconds. Let's just let the Lord know how wonderful he is. Don't shortchange him right now. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You're worthy and you're wonderful. I praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So wonderful, Jesus. You're so wonderful. Jesus, have your way, God. Have your way. Come on, is there anybody that still believes he can do exceeding, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think? Thank God. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. I love your presence. I love your presence. Glory and honor to the Lord. Glory and honor to the Lord. Mm, mm. I just like letting the Holy Ghost breathe a little bit, you know? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God's here to meet your need. God is here to speak to your heart, to encourage you, to lift you up. But we are here to worship him, aren't we? We're here. I want God to have a good time at church. Amen. This is his house. We don't ever need to develop a consumer mentality where we come in and say, what have you done for me lately? We can get spoiled. Come on, I go to a good church. This is a good church. You get good preaching. You're never shortchanged. It's always a smorgasbord. Today may be the one exception of the year, but I'm telling you, don't get spoiled on the presence of God. I remember, I'm just wading out here, Pastor, but 
I remember we were at the church that we had in downtown Memphis, and it was specifically designed to reach the homeless population. We had church on 2 o'clock on a Saturday, and I, I remember my son Ryan was in the service, and, man, there was no air conditioning. It was about 150 degrees in that Memphis summer, and it was warmer inside the building. A lot of windows, sun beaming in, and but the Holy Ghost started moving. There was a gentleman that came up, bowing on his knees, repenting of his sins. Holy Ghost, man, it was so hot. Can I tell you, it did not smell good. You know, there were five people that had had a bath in the last month in the room. But I went back to that second row because my son was kind of, he's a worshiper, but he was taking the day off. You know, he was, I don't know, maybe distracted. I walked back there. It wasn't but three steps to the second row. And I whispered up in his ear and I said, son, don't let one moment when the Holy Ghost is moving go by without you tapping into that. Because if you do... Next time it'll be easier to sit that one out. Don't ever take the presence of God for granted. There's not one service wasted. Not one time. God's in the house right now. And I'm glad that somebody is acknowledging that. Can we love him one more time? Can you just lift up your voice one more time and thank the Lord? God, you're amazing. I don't ever want to lose the fact that you are amazing. I don't ever want to get used to it, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to preach on this subject today, the come from behind victory. The come from behind victory. I want to say what a privilege it is to be back at East Winds with some of my favorite people, the Myers. There's, there's, there's not anybody in the group I don't like. Bishop and his wife, they're miraculous. She's one of my inspirations. I need to set the record straight. I'm walking in May. I'll be doctor in May. But I, but I, when I, I was supposed to last May, but when my son got sick and, and we, we took some time off. But I'm getting it done. And, and uh, your mother, Bishop's wife, inspiration to me. Um, and uh, just love these people. And then Pastor David Myers and his wonderful family. The twins, uh, you know, but no, I'm kidding. I love the twins. I'm a twin, so I relate. I love that, uh, I, I, I love that dynamic. It's beautiful. And, and their precious daughter, she's 18 now, and I, I just... She's always talked like she was 60, though. She was like, always involved in the conversation and saying things that are intelligent. And I like that about you, Sophia. It's beautiful. Um, the come-from-behind victory. Nothing like a come-from-behind victory. I, I, if, I, if I see a contest, I don't, I don't really want to see a blowout. Um, now, I'm, I don't follow sports that closely, but I do... I walk circumspectly, to use a biblical term, so I, I do kind of know what's going on. 
Uh, I know who won the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't endorse the Super Bowl or the people who do endorse the Super Bowl. I mean the advertisers and everything. But uh, I kind of rather see a contest than a, than a 42 to nothing. That's not fun. It's, it's boring. You know, it's like not again. And I like to see an underdog that's the, the odds are just totally against them. I like to see them come back. And, and, and that's the definition of a come-from-behind victory. When it's defined, it's to overcome a deficit. Everybody say, to overcome a deficit. To win a game or a competition. Used in a sentence, our defense is truly terrible. How else do you explain that team coming from behind to beat us? Come from behind victory describes a victory in which the winning team or person overcomes a deficit in order to win. Uh, I'm from St. Louis, and although I know you pretend to have a baseball team here, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We have 11 world championships, I just want to say, next to the Yankees who bought them all. But I'm not not biased at all. But uh, I I remember uh, one of the greatest games in the history, and I don't want to lose all of the lady folk today. Uh, Bear with me for just a moment and think. I will get to you in just a moment, okay? I mean, goodness, my sermon is about a lady, okay? So cut me a little slack for just a moment. But it was game six of the 2011 World Series. It's, it went down in history as one of the greatest come-from-behind victories ever. Uh, it, it, it was one of the craziest, most exciting World Series games that's ever been written about. It was riddled with errors, uh, base running mistakes, general sloppy play for the first six innings. And after six innings, the score was tied 4-4. to The Texas Rangers, Adrian Beltre and Nelson Cruz, led off the seventh with home runs. Very disheartening. The Rangers held a 7-4 to lead heading into the eighth inning. It was still 7-5. to in the favor of the Texas Rangers when David Freeze came up with two runners on and two outs in the bottom of the night. Two outs, two runners on, but two strikes. They were down to their last strike. Freeze lined a triple off the right field wall to tie the game. Bottom of the ninth, it's tied. Seven to seven. That's beautiful, except that Josh Hamilton in the tenth hit a two run homer. We just overcame this deficit. It's over, right? But lightning struck twice when Lance Berkman hit a two out, two strike. They were down to their last strike again. In the bottom of the 10th, he hit an RBI single to, to tie the score again 
at nine. Nine to nine. We're in extra innings. And then David Freeze came up in the next inning and hit a walk-off home run. And the Cardinals win game six of the World Series. The world felt the momentum shift away from the Texas Rangers to favor the St. Louis Cardinals. And sure enough, game seven was, was a blowout. There was no contest, and they won six to two. I just want to say it's not my favorite part of this message, but it makes me pretty happy. I mean, when you're holding your breath, not once with the last strike, but twice. Oh, come on. Now that's a game right there. One of my favorite lyricists that is not apostolic is Paul Simon. And he wrote years ago a song called The Boxer. And the lyrics say, in the clearing stands a boxer a fighter by his trade. And he carries the reminders of every glove that laid him down and cut him till he cried out in his anger and his shame, I am leaving! I am leaving! But the fighter still remains. It's just getting up one more time. It's just coming from behind to find victory We turn our attention today to a desperate people found in Luke's account of Jesus' earthly ministry. I I had a professor in in, uh, my uh, grad program that, that charted out the Gospels. Never heard anybody say this, but he said something like this. Mark is like a stripped down Chevy Impala. Gotta roll up your own windows and all that stuff. Matthew what would you say? It's a it's a Ford. Got electric windows, you know. Not bad. They're all great. Don't misunderstand me. But then Luke is like a Lincoln. It's it's got the bells and whistles and it's beautiful. But John is like a Ferrari. <laughs> you know? John, he's, he wrote it last. He's including other things. But Luke is, is the doctor. So, so if, if, if Mark's recording that Jesus fed 5,000 with loaves and fishes, Luke's like, hang on. It was barley loaves. <laughs> add a little detail. And, and so Luke uh, records this chapter, the eighth chapter. It's, it's one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible. And since the onset of of his public ministry, Jesus has generally met with opposition within the boundaries of the synagogue. And there is palpable tension that builds in the narrative between the Messiah and the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And more and more, Jesus will be found in homes rather than in synagogues, a condition that will be repeated in the mission of the early church according to the history in the book of Acts. We focus in on the second half of the eighth chapter of Dr. Luke's gospel, and the details are dramatic. 
In the last part of the 8th chapter of Luke, things move very quickly. Jesus gives direction to sail across the lake. Then the weary Savior finds the most secluded place on the boat where he can catch up on some much-needed rest. But a storm comes up rapidly, and the boat is taking on water. The threat is real. Though many in the group are skilled fishermen, this is not their first rodeo, but the squall exceeds even their level of experience to deal with it, so reluctantly they wake up Jesus. Jesus comes and stands firmly at the edge of the ship in the blinding thunderstorm and addresses the elements as if they were an unruly child. Cut it out! So many words, that's tremble translation. And the wind and the waves obediently lay down. In Luke's account, Jesus moves from conquering external storms to overcoming internal storms as he encounters desperate situations almost faster than he can respond. First, when they secure the boat to the dock and disembark, they encounter a pitiful relic of a man holding up broken shackles and screaming worship at Jesus as if it were insults. He's infested by many demons. I remind you, legion was a Latin term that referred to 6,000 Roman soldiers. In another display of his authority, Jesus calms the hurricane inside the man by commanding the evil spirits to leave. And when the whimpering spirits seek permission to enter a herd of pigs nearby, the master grants it, and the pigs immediately storm into the sea. The miracle causes a squall in the people, and they expel the Lord from their coast. Please leave now. Next, Luke informs us that Jesus no sooner returns before a desperate ruler from the synagogue, Jairus by name. He throws himself at Jesus' feet and implores him to come heal his only daughter. She's only 12 years old. She's critical. And she's going to die if Jesus does not come immediately and command the sickness to depart. In Luke's narrative, no words pass between Jairus and Jesus in direct conversation, which makes Jesus' responding departure seem all the more sudden. He leaves without saying a word. The apparently short journey to Jairus' home is not without incident, however. While he's going, the collective crowd now takes on a less positive look, and becomes a character in the story. The crowd is pressing in on Jesus. There's only two places Luke uses this word to describe the crowd. And the word means to choke. And both places are in this chapter, the 8th chapter of Luke. The first time Jesus is explaining the meaning of the parable of the sower, and he says, Now, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, they go out and are choked. 
with cares and riches and the pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. The only other time Luke uses this word that means to choke, he's referring to the crowd pressing in on Jesus. Jesus is trying to get to Jairus' house, but the crowd's not making it easy. Luke 8, 40 through 48. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet, begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind. Somebody say she came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it. Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? Jesus said, somebody touched me. For I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling And falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, my child now, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He addressed her as a child of Israel. So let's unpack it just a little bit. While Jesus is trying to get to Jairus' daughter, in the middle of the chaos, another storm is brewing. A woman is struggling, crawling, clawing through the crowd. And the momentum and the plot of the story is forcefully moving away from her. Do you see the crowd? Do you see Jesus? Trying to get to Jairus' house. They're yelling, tell him help is on the way. Come on, Jesus. Tell him help. And there's this woman. Jesus is leaning into the emergency of Jairus' desperate dying daughter and fighting through the crowd. The woman tries to look past the choking crowd to calculate her distance from the healer. Can she make it with the little strength she has left in her body? The simple fact that she's a woman in Palestinian society already marks her as one of relatively low status. In addition to that, she's sick. And her sickness, while evidently not physically debilitating, was socially Devastating. Her hemorrhaging rendered her ritually unclean. 
so that she lived in a perpetual state of impurity. Although her physical condition was not contagious, her ritual condition was. And the consequence was that she had lived in quarantine from her community these 12 years. I had to quarantine for a few weeks, but 12 years. Her desperate and unenviable life situation is only underscored by the dramatic use of the word 12. While the desperate situation with Jairus' daughter may have been emergent, this broken lady had been suffering since the day the girl was born. Her prospects for renewed social interaction had dropped to nothing with her lack of help from physicians. To her otherwise regretful condition is now added this further factor. Now she's broke. Her degraded status, when you compare it to the larger crowd, couldn't be more pronounced. She's an intruder, but her need is desperate. Just as the demoniac from Gadara had dwelled among the dead, so this woman exists outside of the boundaries of the socially alive in her community. And the press of the crowds guarantees that she will infect others with her ritual impurity. Her goal to touch Jesus is premeditated, but that act will pass her uncleanness on to him. What could motivate her to risk the scorn of the crowds, of the frantic synagogue ruler, and of Jesus on account of her improper social behavior? But there's something inside of her. There's a resolve inside of her. I know i got to overcome quite a deficit here, but I'm looking for a come-from-behind victory. There's something telling me to press on. I'm going to misbehave if I have to because I know the healer's in the house. She may be getting her hair messed up, but she's not leaving without a miracle. People may knock her to the ground and get her clothes dirty, but she's not leaving without her miracle. She may be misunderstood, but she's not leaving without a miracle. She may get some sideways looks, but she's not leaving without a miracle. Some people may try to offend her, but she's not leaving without a miracle. Some may misjudge her motives, but she's not leaving without a miracle. She's struggling to keep up because the crowd's moving away, but she's not leaving without a miracle. Some may curse her for coming out of isolation. She's not leaving without a miracle. Crowd may be smothering her, but she's not leaving without a miracle. Jesus may be walking away from her. She's not leaving without a miracle. Oh, there's sometimes you just got to forget about who's around you. 
I don't care what other people think today. Oh, my goodness. The, the, the story of her resolution to cross the borders of legitimate behavior to gain access to that power. If I can just touch the hem of his garment. I know I'm behind in this fight. I know I'm out of money. I know I'm out of options. I know, I know I'm isolated. I know that everybody is going to have to report to the priest after they leave this crowd and they find out it's me who's been crawling through their legs trying to get to Jesus. But I got something inside of me saying it's time for God to do something for me. I've got to, I've got to keep reaching. I've got to resolve in my spirit saying he's in the house even if he seems to be moving the other direction God will change his direction if there is somebody that will come from behind the effect of touching Jesus garment is immediate her bleeding stops And so she experiences a reversal of her sickness and her malady. But as we see, though her physical problem may be cured, she's still not whole yet. The significance of the woman's action is highlighted. Why did this unclean, disgraceful woman presume to touch one who even the synagogue ruler had bowed down to? It's amazing the contrast in the situation, the damage that she's done. The the law contained a remedy, the rites of purification for Jesus. There's a reprimand for the woman, but Jesus doesn't go there. Instead, he recognizes that her touch instigated a transfer of power. It's here at this intersection that the real test of the woman begins because Jesus calls upon her to acknowledge her actions before everybody. In fact, at this point, the account is largely concerned with the movement of the woman from seclusion to public proclamation. Crowds are pressing in, ready to choke faith as it sprouts, Will she give in to her fear or will she respond in faith? At this juncture, the narrative is emphatic. All, somebody say all, All. including the woman, denied having touched Jesus. But in his statement... I noticed the power had gone out of me. Jesus tells us two things about himself. He's got the power. (laughs) Come on. Somebody glad he's got the power? And he's also acknowledging that he knows when it's conveyed to others. So, 
The woman perceives the significance of Jesus' actions and she recognizes that hiding is useless. So she comes trembling. She's crossed the boundaries. She's violated the biblical purity code. But when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and fell down before him. And she finally fesses up. It was me. But in that moment, when Jesus says, daughter, he was welcoming her back into the social community. You're one of us. I didn't just heal you. I'm telling everybody else in this place. Come on, daughter. Come on, daughter. Welcome back. Well, oh, come on. Jesus don't do it halfway. When he healed the lame man, he gave him back his job. When he healed the lame man, he made it possible for him to go worship in the temple again. When he talked to the tax collector, he said something more than, hey, come follow me. He said, I believe in you, even though all the Jews around you think you're scum. Come on, I'm coming to your house to eat dinner. That's what he did. He lifts people up. He restores them. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord. Yes! Her cure was initially realized in privacy and anonymity afforded to the crowd, but her real problem was a public one. And so he confirms her story and verifies her healing. He rules out all possible interpretations of her unconventional behavior except for one. And that is that this was an expression of her faith. I'm not content to just leave you cured according to biomedical definitions only. He embraces her in the family and says, Come on, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Come on, uh, come on, you don't have to live in isolation. I'm talking to somebody today that may need a come-from-behind victory. Come on, I'm talking to somebody today. The deficit has been there, and you feel like you've been climbing uphill, but God is in the house. All he's looking for is somebody to stop him in his tracks and come from behind and say, I got the faith. I've got the resolve. I'm not leaving here until you touch me. Come on, somebody reach out to the Lord right now. How do I do that, preacher? You got to come out of isolation. Come on, so many times we come to church and we don't bring our real self. We bring what some psychologists call our ideal self. You bring what the pastor thinks you are. You bring what the people sitting next to you think you are. But you know what? Some of you got some hurt. Some of you got some problems. Some of you got some situations in your heart. That's who you need to bring to this altar today. That's what you need to come to God with. It's not just about what other people think. It's God, I need a touch today. It may be a come from behind miracle, but I need you to touch me.
Sometimes you got to risk embarrassment. Come on. Can I tell you, saints, some of you that have been here for a long time, this isn't just for sinners up here. This isn't just for people that have never... Re- Come on, we get done with the big three and we think we're, we're, we're sailing home, coasting, not doing anything. No, 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 no. We need God every day we live. Don't let one service go by without touching the hem of His garment. It's for everybody. Sometimes you got to risk embarrassment. Now, I'll tell you, but Pastor, I'm not the most demonstrative person. But I remember standing up here on the platform one time uh, in one of our services. You may be seated for now. But, but you know what happened? The Lord spoke to me. I really needed a breakthrough. I needed a breakthrough. I, I felt the pressure. I felt everything. And I needed, I needed a touch from God. And God whispered to me and said, Victory is about two inches above your head. What? Victory is about two inches above your head. That's where it's located. You can get it if you want to. Well, you know what I started doing. Don't care what nobody thinks about me. I need victory more than I need your approval. I need victory more than I need to look distinguished. I need victory more than I need to keep my suit nice and my hair nice. I'm going to risk embarrassment because you know what? God's in the house and God can do anything. All I need is to reach out. Come on. I wish somebody would risk some embarrassment today. I wish somebody would say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. You got to have whatever it takes faith, whatever it takes faith. Whatever it takes, faith. I don't care if I'm broke. I don't care if the doctors say there's no hope. I don't care if I've been fighting it for 12 years. Jesus is here. And I'm going to stretch when I don't have any strength left. I'm going to reach farther than I've ever reached. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Let's stand. I want to tell you this today. I don't care who you are. The odds may be against you. But God is for you. The odds may be against you. But God is for you. You ask Job scraping his boils. You ask Joseph in the prison. You ask Esther and her doomed people. You ask Gideon and his tiny army. You ask David alone facing a giant. There are people here today feel like the odds are against you. When you tally up the situation, you wouldn't even bet on yourself if you were a betting person. The family situation sets you back. The sickness is taking its toll. The losses have mounted. You may have crawled to this service today. 
To you, it seems like the momentum of the Lord is moving away from you. But it's time to reach out in desperation. It's time to stretch. I don't care if it seems like the odds are against you. God is for you. That's all you need. That's all you need. Come on, if you need the Holy Ghost, God will fill you with the Holy Ghost today. God will fill you with the Holy Ghost today. Come on, we got to... They're baptizing two people from the sober living house. We did a Bible study in last week. Baptized four last week and two today. But you know what? The guy that brought them, he came into our church. He said, I I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. He came on his own. Nobody invited him. But he said, listen, young people, I'm telling you, your witness makes a difference. He came in, he said, he named a, a young lady that I knew in another church. He said, 20 years ago, I went to high school with Hannah. And he said, now that I'm grown and I have daughters of my own, I said to my wife, I want my girls to grow up and be just like that. She stood out to me. She made a difference in my life. You know what? Hannah came and showed up. She went to a church across town. She showed up at the baptism when I baptized Tim. Tim's nine years off of heroin. And now he's bringing everybody he can. And God is delivering people with a come from behind victory. I'm talking about a come from behind victory. JT, you said that man walked out of the wheelchair. I was there at that service. JT was at our church. He's been coming. He had surgery on his foot, and they said he'd never walk again. He was dancing and shouting this week in the altar. And a backslider from years ago. God's changing his life. God's got a miracle for you. God's got a touch for you today. God has what you need. It doesn't matter what the odds are against. I want you to reach out for him right now. Would you do that all over this place? As they begin to sing and worship the Lord. Come on, somebody use your faith right now. He can't do it for you. I can't stretch for you. But you can touch God right now. All over this building. He's ready. He's ready. Promise keeper, light in the darkness. Come on, Jesus is in the house. Would we'll just stretch a little bit right now? Say, preacher, I prayed before, but that was then. This is now. God is in this house. God is ready to touch you. God is ready to minister to you. God is ready to fill you. You can repent of your sins. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry I've offended you. Please forgive me for my sins. You can be baptized in the only saving name, Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. God's got it for you. Reach! Reach! Building. You are here. Would you reach out? You're 
He's here. You are here, Lord. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. You are here. Come on, right now. I know we're at the end of the service. I know the momentum is heavy toward the finish. But God is here right now for you. God is here right now.
don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel that you're working, you never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. And even when I don't feel that you're working, you never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when 